Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 146, air date July 13th, 2017. With your mindset on a goal I am the dreamer Who will follow her soul You need the traffic lights To know which way to go I trust in my heart And in the way the wind blows But somehow magnetic attraction Had led to despair Hey everybody, this is Richard Sachs. I'm your host on Lost Arts Radio. It's nice to be with you again. This is our show for Worldwide Broadcast on July 2nd, 2017. Hope that you're all doing very well and that you had a good week. Uh, Maybe some of you joined us last night for the discussion show, which is a call-in show Saturday nights. Same time, 6 o'clock p.m. Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern time. And tonight's guest is kind of out of the sequence that we've been doing recently because once in a while I come across somebody who's running for office somewhere trying to jump into the uh, world of politics, which is usually a very self selfless act, you know, for, for somebody that knows what's involved in that and is a, a good and sincere person. And I like to support people like that. Um, Tonight's guest is actually running for Senate in Massachusetts. I think the last time we had a, a uh, political candidate on was somebody who was actually already in office. That was Heather Scott, great person in Idaho. And we're still in touch with her. She's doing wonderful things there, trying to bring back uh, sanity and ethics and constitutionality to government in Idaho. Tonight's guest is trying to get into a federal office, Senate from Massachusetts. And he actually is also an immigrant, but he's a legal immigrant, the normal kind, from India. And he came into the U.S. at age seven. I think that's age seven. I'll make sure when I talk to him. Um, He's got an amazing story. Uh, Success, not... uh, Now he wants to get into service of the country. He's made money, and he's gotten a great education. He's gone to university programs gotten multiple degrees and wants to use it for something that could actually uh, give back for all that he's gotten from america very inspiring actually i saw him for the first time on alex jones's show and i was really positively impressed this seems like a really sharp intelligent guy but not just intelligent also ethically motivated and um believing in individual freedom Somebody who wants to bring that into the government is great. 
And also, what was amazing about Shiva, he's not there to impress us that he knows everything and that he's right about everything. He's open to learning, which is really the only honest attitude for any of us like that, is that uh, once we start really learning a little bit of what's going on in ourselves and nature and in world events around us, we realize how, how little we know and we have a vast amount to still learn. And I saw that attitude in Shiva, Ayadure, that's his name, Shiva, S-H-I-V-A, Ayadure, A-Y-Y-U-D-U-R-A-I. So what, what we're about to hear was actually recorded on the 21st of June, just a little while ago. And we were actually very lucky to get any time with Shiva. Plus, he's already being on Alex's show. So the fact, you know, he's he's reaching so many millions of people through Alex's show. It was very kind of him to also come on Lost Arts Radio. I really appreciate it. We're very lucky to get the time with him. But you'll notice at the end of the recorded interview, we kind of got cut short. It wasn't the usual smooth ending. It was good. It, it was kind of coherent all the way right up to the end, almost as if it was planned. But he got interrupted. He's got this incredible schedule and un unexpected things came up and he had to leave quickly. But we covered a lot. So let's go and talk with Shiva and I'll meet you back here after that and we can review go over some of the important points that we talk about and other issues that i want to remind you of bring to your attention see what you think about before we wrap it up for tonight so now let's go talk to shiva ayadure and realize this is an incredible opportunity to get a lot more in depth with him about what he thinks an example of one of the really good people i think that's running for office in america and we hope to see hundreds and thousands more in the immediate future so let's go talk to shiva and i'll meet you back here afterwards welcome everybody this is richard Sachs, your host for lost arts radio this is our broadcast for worldwide on sunday the second day of july 2017 and we're honored to have with us as our guest tonight uh, mr shiva ayadure senate candidate from Massachusetts, and I was fortunate to see his interview. It was brief, but it was really good on, on Alex's show. And as you know, a lot of our guests are, are back and forth between our show and Alex's. And I thought, wow, it'd be a good idea to give Shiva a platform to talk in a little bit more detail about background, what he sees happening now, his input on a lot of important issues. I have a lot of uh, interesting things to ask him about that he'll be able to go into more detail on because we've got time now for a little bit more full discussion. So um, is really busy. I appreciate the time that he's giving us very much. And hopefully this will be a way for a lot more people to get to know him deeply in person. So welcome, Shiva, and thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Sure. Okay, so what I'd like to do is start, you know, so that we include people who don't know about you yet at all, maybe, and go back to your... Your background, you were born in India, and I want to see a little bit about, you know, even though you were only getting there for, I guess, seven years or a little bit less, and um, what life was like over there, and it gives us a little bit more contrast in between uh, that period and what happened when you got to this country, and then we'll just kind of follow it up until the present. Yeah, so the, first of all, you know, I grew up in India at a time which still exists today when, um, uh, you know, there's a caste system in India, which some of your audience may know about a caste system is where yeah. your success is based 
not on your merit or your work, but on what, where you were born into. Okay. Um, hopefully some ways like hopefully the, where the United States doesn't go into, but uh, yeah, exactly. my parents and I were considered low caste untouchables or you could call deplorables. So the wow. fact that my parents even made it here is quite significant. The fact my parents even got educated is probably one in a trillion. And um, so I came here when I was seven years old, but you know, my formative years went to India. I used to go back regularly. In fact, I still have a home there. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting in my case is my family, uh, which is my mom and my dad and my sister, were the only ones who came to India. The other 100-odd or 200-odd cousins and extended family are there. You know, oh, okay. so wow. sort of, What, what yeah. part of India is that, by the way, Shiva? Well, I grew up in Bombay, but my parents are from South India, oh. known as Tamil okay. Nadu. Okay. Um, okay. And South India is as different... Uh, to Bombay as Mississippi is to, you know, um, New York City. That's how different it is. Yeah. Or even darker the differences. So yeah. I grew it's up in huge. Bombay, but I also spent at least uh, 30% of my time in a small village in deep South India, which had no electricity, no running water as mm-hmm. a kid. Okay. And so my parents, my mom was a mathematician, my dad an engineer, and my grandparents were poor village farmers who worked 16 hours a day in the field. Um, the earliest memories I have of them were on weekends. My grandmother was trained in the traditional arts of Siddha and Ayurveda, India's traditional system of medicine that dates back nearly five or 10,000 years. And she healed people. So on weekends, people would come to her home. She was a village healer. She would observe their face mm-hmm. to diagnose different dysfunctions in their organs. And then mm-hmm. she would make personalized formulations for them from a host of herbs that she had learned from uh, other you know, eminent teachers who were, didn't go to universities but were trained in the arts of uh, Siddhan Arvada. So, um, you know, I saw her empirically heal lots and lots of people. And so that motivated my interest in medicine. Right. So fast right. forward 1970, my parents, you know, leave India and come to America. If you remember, that was a time of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Mm-hmm. It was it, still during the Vietnam era. Nixon was in office. Right. And we moved to Patterson, New Jersey, which is a very colorful place, one of the poorest cities in the United States. And in seven years, my parents moved on average probably about uh, every uh, year and a half because those days you didn't have school choice. So we went to the better public school systems. So we went from Patterson to Clifton to Persephone and then eventually um, Livingston. And during that period, you know, I had a lawn mowing business. I, I, uh, I uh, had a paper route. I was a typical American kid, but I was very motivated in science and medicine. I also played sports. By the time I was 14, as an overachieving kid, I'd finished calculus in the ninth grade. Okay. Shiva, uh, I, I, I yeah. want to interrupt just one thing that, that you skipped over so we don't go too far past it. You said that you guys were coming from the untouchable class in India, right? And yeah. I know that some of the, the preconception of what that is among the people that know about it here is that the people in that who are caught in that class are so destitute that they just absolutely can never do anything to get out of their situation. How did you guys do it? I think it was a combination of probably a total uh, set of circumstances. You have to understand my mom came from a broken family. The father ran off with the maid, which is unheard of in India, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, everyone, there's no divorce. It's like Catholic system. But, and I think that motivated my mom as an eight-year-old kid. You know, literally the father ran away overnight. She had no place to stay. I think that, you know, different people react different ways to stressors, you know? Mm-hmm. My mom reacted by saying she wasn't going to depend on anyone ever in her life again, particularly okay. a man. 
Right, right. And uh, so she became uh, extremely motivated to get an education. In fact, she still to this day, she's one of two women in that um, South Indian part of India who got a master's in statistics. Just mm-hmm. sheer hard right. work. You know, you want to call a mutation. That's what my mom was. Okay. And now you take a look at my dad. He grew up in war-torn Burma in the 30s. Bombs going off everywhere. His grandparents had moved there to find their fortune. And my great-grandfather left as an indentured servant on a what you would call an indentured slave ship mm-hmm. where you worked off your time. He apparently was such a hard worker. The captain of the slave ship just liked this guy. Uh, let him off of his bond, and he worked his way up in Burma. My dad was born there. World War II comes. They literally have to walk back to India walk through the Assam trails. So that's, and so my dad had not studied any formal education until he was 10 years old. He comes back to his village, this very nice teacher, educates him under a mango tree, literally, and my dad was so like a sponge. He wanted to absorb knowledge. Yeah, yeah. And so again, another anomaly. So I'm, in many ways, I'm sort of a crossover, probably two sort of mutations. Wow. Mom and Super dad. adventure so, movie. Right. That's in- incredible. Yeah. So I, it just, it just complete whatever you want to call it. So, um, you know, so when I came here, when I went back in 1975, it's the first time I realized the stark difference between India and here, you know, my aunt mm. still lived in a small three foot by three foot hut, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's when I realized, that's when I made a decision as a 12-year-old that I was going to do something to change the world, that all of this inequity didn't ever, never made any sense to me. Mm-hmm. So that's really been my motivator. You know, I was a 12-year-old kid who actually made a decision to right. do something. And when I got back, that's when I decided to study really hard and excel. And that's what I did. So by the time I was 14, I finished calculus, um, top of the class and everything, good sportsman, got accepted to a special program at NYU. Uh, 40 students were selected across the United States to learn computer science. And um, I was one of them. I learned seven programming languages at NYU at the Corrin Institute of Mathematical Sciences. Finished that top of the class. It was like a military type uh, computer science program. In eight weeks, we learned tons of stuff. And I was ready to work. I came back. I had humanities courses left. Um, My high school teachers changed the rules so I could work full time while finishing up my humanities classes and work at Rutgers Medical School in Newark. Remember, I was interested in medicine. Right, right. So I started right. doing research um, in uh, why babies were dying in their sleep, called crib death, applying my training in computing to my interest in medicine, and I built some of the earliest algorithms to predict the onset of a sleep apnea, which mm-hmm. is when a baby, you know, watching its sleep patterns. Now, while I was doing that, a side effect took place, um, uh, one of my mentors there, Dr. Les Michelson, said, Shiva, I'll give you another challenge, which was in those days, uh, the way collaboration, the way research got done was in these big institutions, uh, there was a secretary, always every researcher or doctor had a secretary. Mm-hmm. And e- each secretary had a physical desktop. On her desk was an inbox, an outbox, folders, and a typewriter. And through that typewriter, you would write an inner office mail envelope Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, a memo right. with carbon paper, you'd attach, you, you sound familiar, they had a dress yeah. book, and this would go into a physical envelope, which was then put into pneumatic tubes and sent around the office. It was a very complex system. So mm-hmm. if you wanted to hire someone, you had a cover letter, you had attachments, you'd forward their resume around. And I was asked to convert that entire system of systems of hundreds of different features into the electronic version, and I called it email. Wrote 50,000 mm-hmm. lines of software code. 
Wow. And that's what I created. And uh, never made Yeah, I think some people have it. heard of email at this point, too. A lot of people are actually right. using it. So I created the first email system as we know today. At that time, I was 14, 15, uh, 16, went off to MIT. When I first arrived at MIT on the front page, I highlighted three kids who had done something of note. I was a kid who had invented this email system. And uh, I went to the president's house that year. It was 1981 for dinner because I was student body, uh, freshman student body president. Mm-hmm. And what I was uh, told by the president of MIT was, you know, it's unfortunate you can't patent software, but you should copyright it. And because I didn't know in 1980, the Copyright Act of 1976 was amended to be the Software Act of 1980. And that's what I did. I okay. sent away all the 50,000 lines of code. And on August 30th, 1982, I was issued the first U.S. copyright for email, recognizing me as the inventor of email. By the way, it was only 1994 did the Federal Court of Appeals recognize software as a digital machine. Up until then, they thought software was sheet music. Anyway, went off to MIT, did uh, four degrees, always doing some type of medical research. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, started seven different companies. In 2003, something interesting occurred. Um, The world of biology was going through a revolution. Um, If you remember, the Genome Project had just ended in 2003, The irony of it was we found out that we are not our genes, meaning up until then, medical medical biologists were very reductionist. They thought, oh, if you have this gene, you're going to get this disease, right? If you have yeah, so that was the project to map the human genome, right? It was called the HGP, Human Genome Project. The the interesting thing is the the assumptions were, oh, a little worm has twenty thousand genes. We as humans must have at least a half a million genes. And the irony of it is when the project ended, we only have 20,000 genes. Yeah, so that's what that made people realize is that the number of genes is more like keys on a piano keyboard. Okay? Mm-hmm. And those keys on that piano keyboard, you can play an infinite set of music, right? Right. Which right. Is, a, is a function of the molecular pathways, our thoughts, in fact, what foods we eat. So this has led to a whole new area of biology called systems biology which basically is when I come back to MIT. And I said, uh, my advisor said, Shiva, come back and finish your PhD. And the challenge I took on, just like email, was could I create a mathematical version, model of the whole human cell? So if email was the electronic version of the inner office mail system, could I create a mathematical version of the human cell, modeling all the complexities of the molecular pathways? And that's what I proceeded to do. So my latest invention is called Cytosol, cyto meaning cell solve, which allows us to literally look at the known science for any disease, any molecular phenomenon. So if we want to look at inflammation, there's thousands of papers written about that. And those papers are wet lab experiments. We can extract from those the actual molecular pathways, which are like little jigsaw puzzle pieces, Mm -hmm. extract them, convert them to models, mathematical predictive models, because you can do small models well. And cytosol is like an orchestra conductor. It pieces together systems of systems of mathematical models. And so now we're able to model very complex phenomenon. Cytosol has grown to become a very, very valuable company. We discovered a drug for pancreatic cancer, for example, without killing any animals. But I've, I, you know, we spun out many companies. But my real intention is to use Cytosol to really validate traditional systems of medicine. Why was my grandmother able to heal people, right? Why okay. do certain formulas work? Why don't they work? So, so in many ways, at the age of 53, I feel like I've been fortunate to fulfill that dream I had as a five-year-old kid. 
by coming up with cytosol so that you could give validity in the scientific world to what your grandmother was doing. Is that yeah, that's one thing. The, I've also been fortunate when I went back to India after I did my PhD in 2007, I mm-hmm. went back on a Fulbright to do what was uh, a PhD on Siddha, um, I mean my Fulbright on Siddha and systems biology. I wanted to find out if I could find the missing link between Western science and Ayurveda and Siddha. And I had a major breakthrough. I literally correlated what's called systems theory uh, which is how engineering systems are built from airplanes to thermostats, to, you know, wind wipers on, you know, your, um, your car. And I found that the principles of those engineering systems match one-to-one with Ayurveda and Siddha. So I basically have deciphered what the ancient rishis and yogis of India were saying. Ayurveda and Siddha were not medical systems. They were systems to understand all systems. And so that resulted in a whole curriculum I built called Systems Health. I've written many books on this. Uh, we have a training institute in Cambridge. And at that training institute, um, we literally are retraining MDs, PhDs, in fact, Eastern medical professionals, yoga teachers and uh, Ayurvedic people on what is Siddhan Ayurveda. So when I did this course, I initially did it at MIT. We used to have 200 people show up on a Thursday night. On one side would sit all the egotistical MDs and PhDs and engineers. And the other side were the woo-woo, you know, <laughs> yoga people and the course really literally bought them brought them together because i was able to show that the ancients were not just people in saffron robes which is what it's become now but they mm-hmm. were actually looking at the world as a complex system so that's system self so i have system self is one business and the other business is cytosol okay interesting and have you said you started seven companies are those all running simultaneously now Oh, well, the companies that, you know, I own a real estate trust, um, which is my investment company. Um, we have a big building in Cambridge. Uh, I have Cytosol, which runs simultaneously along with um, Systems Health. We still have a company called EchoMail, which I grew to a very large size company. Now it serves small businesses, which is for email management. It's the AI and email. And then um, I have an incubator fund called uh, General Interactive. I also have my nonprofit, International Center for Integrated Systems. We do a lot of research in systems. In fact, we did some of the pioneering research to show that GMOs, uh, you know, a GMO is not the same as a non-GMO. Mm-hmm. That, in oh, fact, GMOs, particular GMO soy, has mm-hmm. 250% less uh, glutathione than non-GMO soy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Shiva, I wanted to ask you a question that comes up a lot with when we have guests that have multiple companies, you know, there's this little issue that there's only 24 hours in a day, I'm sure you've noticed, and a lot of people have t- uh, trouble keeping up with a normal work schedule. How is it possible, you know, how, what can you tell people about how it's possible to actually keep up with the workings of seven companies and not go completely crazy? Well, I think the big thing is, first of all, there's a weird, there's a weird phenomenon that takes place. The more you do, the more you can do, and the less you do, the less you do. Wow, that's meaning. Weird. Yeah, meaning, and I've noticed this with people who are have all sorts of stuff going on. They can't seem to get up. They do less and less and less. And the 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 more you do, you get very very good at building intuition. Uh, you get very good at managing multiple projects in a very methodical way because you start using what what I call systems and process you learn very quickly to decide what's important, what's not important, when to dive into something hard and when to move on. 
Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, uh, how does an orchestra conductor conduct, you know, hundreds of musicians? Yeah. Pretty wild feat, right? Well, you, um, I had a friend of mine who had 3,500 salespeople reporting to him. And I said, Ted, how did you do this? This is in my 20s. He goes, Shiva, after a while, he said he could walk through and he would just know who was working, who wasn't. You build intuition. You see, there's three parts of our mind, the intuitive mind, the intellectual mind, and the instinctive mind. The instinctive mind is the lowest form, which is reacts to things. It's the reptilian brain. Mm-hmm. The intellectual mind processes things. It's very rational, very clever. It takes a lot of energy. And then you have the intuitive mind, which can make decisions in microseconds. Right. And, um, and I, I'm not saying this is some uh, phenomenal skill that we all have this. It's no different. It's, it's basically repetition is a mother of skill. You do things over and over again. You put in the hard work. You start getting good at it. So yeah. my point is I have a lot of friends who run multiple companies, and you start seeing commonalities. You learn how to get a lot out of a little people. And you also learn the less people you have, you can do more work, believe it or not. Yeah, There's I do. a great book called The Mythical Man Month, written by the former head of uh, the operating system project at IBM. And he talks Myth- about the what's, what's the title again? Mythical what? I think it's called the Mythical Man Month. Let me see if I remember this right. The Mythical Man Month. And let me tell you what it's about. All right. Yes, yeah, the Mythical Man Month. And the idea was, you know, the old model of building large corporations was, okay, if, you, if a project took 10 man months, you need 10 people, right? If you had 10 people, you could finish it in a month, right? Okay. Right? If, if a project took 10 man months, if you had one person, it would take 10 months, right? 10 man months. And yeah. Then people said, okay, what happens if you had a project, like a huge project, like a building a highway, right? It took a million man months. Right. Well, that means you could hire, uh, you know, uh, uh, 100,000 people. And if you worked on 10 months, 10 times 100,000, you could, in 10 months with 100,000 people, you get it done in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in 10 months, right? Yeah. Well, it, the reality, what people don't know, it doesn't scale linearly. The more people you bring into your life, every communication between one person and another actually will take that project, not 10 months, may take it 100 months. So the because efficiency the more, goes down. Yeah, because it's a communication. You know, think about it when you hire people. You, you think about all the stuff we face as employers. You tell your assistant to do something. Well, if they don't listen carefully, they do the wrong thing, right? Right. It's like the old telephone story. Well, imagine you tell them to do something and they tell someone else to do something. They tell someone else to do something. Well, now you have four points of failure. So the point is you can do a lot by yourself, frankly. I mean, Beethoven wrote all those symphonies by himself. So there's this notion that you need all these people. Well, I don't believe you do. I think what you need is a finite set of good people and you Mm -hmm. can get a lot of things done. And, um, that, that's my view, and I, 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 I'm not going to, uh, because I've experienced this, you know? Um, small yeah. is beautiful. Yeah. Um, I don't believe big is better, meaning um, you get a lot of people, and that's why you need people. I think, you know, think about all the music that the Beatles did, you know? Right. Think right. about all the great artists. You know, Picasso did a lot of that stuff himself. You know, Michelangelo did most of it, but he had other workers, right? It wasn't like... Um, you know, this, the wellspring of creativity is not, you know, is this, you know, one person who does, can do a lot. That's my point. Yeah, that, get that, better, that concept things. of finite set of good people is a really deep concept. Yeah. So, so that's my view on that. Yeah. 
Okay. So so where you got to is with these companies, and then what what we're missing in, in the um, timeline is between then, uh, you did have the idea that you wanted to help the world, but how did it get from there to where you actually decided to start getting directly involved in something political? Well, I've always been political, you know, all my life. I would say okay. my first love has been fighting for truth and justice. You know, if you go back to, if you go to my site, shivaforsenate.com, you know, I'm running for U.S. Senate. Yeah. Um, there's the about page and you'll see a whole timelines of me. One as a fighter, you know, when I first came to MIT, I wasn't, you know, I had built email. I had enough credits to finish up MIT in two years. I was more interested in political systems and systems of power and injustice and justice. Mm-hmm. I studied with Chomsky, you know, as a, as a sophomore at MIT. And mm-hmm. I was more interested in why was there a caste system? Why was it that when I was a five-year-old kid, I was denied water by my best friend's mother? And why were people of my background treated so horribly? Right. And, you, right. know, w- w- you know, why was there slavery? Um, why is there wage slavery? None of these things made sense to me. So that's what motivated me. So I studied every major political theorist, every major political history book, um, and I started practicing it at MIT. I was one of the first students to make sure more women and more minorities came in. Uh, I started a student newspaper, a pretty radical newspaper. Uh, there's a picture of me burning the South African flag on the steps of MIT because mm-hmm. MIT, a liberal institution, claimed they were against racism, yet they were investing in racism in South Africa in the 80s and making money off of it. Mm, okay. And during my PhD graduation, I was the only one who took out a banner in front of 10,000 people as I'm getting my PhD, which said U.S. out of Iraq. Half the crowd booed me and the other half crowd, you know, cheered me on. Yeah, yeah. I have not care. I'm not a politician who puts his finger up in the air, which is what all of these career politicians do. Um, exactly. You know, so I have stood my ground because I, ultimately I know it's a gift to have life. And then from where I came from, people had nothing. But to me, the purpose of this human life is to do good to mankind, you know, as, as Byron said, and, and that's a chivalrous plan, you know, mm-hmm. and if not nobly requited, you might even be hanged, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's what I believe, you know? So I take, uh, life in that way. And I think we're supposed to fight hard, uh, create and invent. And, and, and this world is what we create. And, um, so that's where I come from in all of this. So I've been a fighter, you know, I went to India on my Fulbright, I was appointed by the Prime Minister of India to run the largest innovation center, beautiful bungalow in Delhi. I was a deputy director in the Indian government, additional secretary. And in the midst of that, I exposed all the corruption in the Indian innovation. And uh, I had to leave India under death threats up through Nepal and out. When I came back here, I went through the entire email controversy when my papers went into the Smithsonian after my mom died, after the editor of Time magazine wrote, an article called A Man Who Invented Email. I never got fame or fortune out of it. When that went in, the vitriol by the liberal mainstream India to deny the fact a 14-year-old Indian-American kid invented email forced me to take my rightful place in history. I fought back. We sued Gawker. Uh, We drove them to bankruptcy. Hulk Hogan had sued them also. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they pulled down the three defamatory articles and they had to pay me close to $750,000. And that's my life. And then I recently exposed Monsanto using my new invention at MIT. I wrote a series of five papers which showed that GMOs are not uh, equal to G- uh, non-GMOs. I, the mainstream media wasn't picking this up, so I told Monsanto I'd give them my $10 million building in Cambridge. So I'm a fighter, you know, uh, right. and that's who I always will be. And I 
detest people like Elizabeth Warren, who are in many ways the fake establishment. You know, they are the establishment, but they speak a good game. You know, they're the well, guys yeah. like in India. Yeah, when I was growing up, a lot up, of the people we have on. A lot of the people we have on the show, from politician type people, they they have the skill of saying something that, on the surface, if you're not really paying attention, it sounds really impressive, but it's carefully crafted to not really say anything so that nobody would be against it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, you know, the problem they have with me is I'm I'm authentic, I'm real, uh, I I'm, I uh, with all humility, I'm articulate. It's a it's a God given gift. I've gotten the degrees. So, uh, which probably they should not have given to me from their standpoint. And I want to fight for the liberation of all people. Right. Well, um, let me ask you a few issue-related questions, if that's okay with you. And I, I want to just uh, mention to people that this is totally non-scripted, that we're just talking freely. And the reason that I, I really wanted to have Shiva on is because of what he just explained. And that his attitude and his motivation are what I think we need all through positions in government and industry and everywhere. So um, just to let people know more about what you're thinking, first of all, it occurs to me that in this country, one of the things that you really liked about America as opposed to the caste system is that it's supposed to be based on individual freedom. And what do you think the status is right now with regard to that and government and global corporations and what's going on in American society? Well, what's actually happened is, you see, what we're seeing is the corporatization, in many ways, the crony monopoly corporatization of all major institutions. Mm -hmm. Um, Government has become corporatized, right? Um, right? The average state employee makes $33 an hour. Mm-hmm. Minimum wage. The average private employee is now making 17 per hour, which means politicians um, earn their votes by telling uh, federal employees that they're going to get this and this and this, all these benefits, right? So they get keep them on the plantation, as I like to say it. Right. You know, we've seen the corporatization of banking in a phenomenal way. Elizabeth Warren talked about Dodd-Frank. It's going to go against small banks. It's actually destroyed 1,200 small banks. It didn't help small banks. It, in fact, emboldened big banks. She, you know, she talks about, you know, uh, supporting Obamacare and the basic rights of all human beings to have health care. Well, the reality is the basic right of human beings is to have freedom of choice, right. freedom. Right. Right. And what has actually happened is hun- tens and tens of thousands of doctors, you know, the primary care doctors where who used to actually look at your face, ask you to open your tongue, look at your skin, where they did actual healing which occurred one-on-one, like my grandmother, they've all been uh, decimated. They all have to join big hospitals. And we know you go into a big hospital, there's a two to three out of five chance that you're going to get some other disease. Mm-hmm. So this is what these guys do, because what they really are about is they themselves are on plantations, be it Harvard or any of these elite institutions, and they get fed, they get coddled. They've never had to have a job. I've had to have a job since I was 14 years old. I grew up with nothing. I've created jobs for other people, and all of these career politicians, left or right, Republican or Democrat, conservative or liberal, they all need to get the hell out of the way. Because until you've had to create something, invent something, get something out, hire employees, fire employees, make payroll, they don't have any business in talking about how they're going to fix anything. They're just uh, complete leeches. And that's not what the founders of this country were. To your earlier point, the founders of this country wanted us to have a direct relationship with our creator which means we, through our own will and belief and hard work, 
you know, our, our own ability to be uh, professionals, we take bold risks and we create things. That is the American way. Mm-hmm. And with these guys are career politicians. All of them, they have their consultants, they lie, and they lie, and they lie. That's what they do for a living. And they've gotten so clever at using their intellectual mind that they'll lie all of us to make them believe anything. Well, so I, that's I com- what I want to break uh, up. I completely agree. Go ahead. I'm just disgusted by them. They're, they, you know, they're, they're the same old, same old caste system, you know? Yeah, 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 exactly. Trying to become the royal caste. Um, yeah. What, what about the, the little problem that we have in this country that, according to the Constitution, at least with respect to the federal government, and the enumerated powers and the Tenth Amendment that says anything not specifically listed is reserved you know, to the states or the people, we've got a situation where something like 90 or more percent of what the government does is constitutionally illegal. And nobody seems to know anything to do about it or feels like it's a hopeless situation and it's just going to get worse. And, and it, it leads to just incredible situations of, of harm to the population. Is you see any kind of approach to that that might eventually make it better? Uh, can, can you sort of expand on that when you say illegality? Sure. Explain what you mean, yeah. Yeah, well, there's a clause in the Constitution called the uh, Enumerated Powers Clause, and it lists the things that the federal government is allowed to do. And then it specifically says in the Tenth Amendment, which is the last part of the Bill of Rights, that anything that's not specifically uh, given to the federal government as its uh, legitimate purview of, of work to do, it belongs to the state governments or the people, but not the federal government. And that's just completely ignored. So on two levels, one is the government itself passes all kinds of laws that are not constitutionally valid because they're not in the enumerated powers. There are whole departments that have no legitimate basis for existing. And then it also sets up agencies. And you, as you know, you can't delegate a power you don't have. But they've done that. And these agencies are making rules which become de facto laws, and they're allowed to enforce them with firearms. But they're not constitutionally valid. And no one seems to even remember that or think, if they do, to think that there's anything that could ever be done about it. So you've got this massive organization, which is what the founders of America were worried about might happen if you empower the federal government you know, right. too much. Well- I think I think what fundamentally happened is if you go back to the, you know, in the 1800s and the early 20s, um, you know, you had mass movements in this country. Many people forget that what we what across the world they call May Day, you know, International Workers Day. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know. I don't know if you know where that started. I'm not sure where that started. May Day actually what, what start, was started in the United States in the 1800s. Okay. It was in commemoration of American workers who were shot in the Haymarket riots. Okay. That's where May Day started. There was a huge grassroots movement of working people in this country for basic rights and dignity, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what you see from the 1800s to the 1920s when we saw the crash is that movement was growing. It was a populist movement of everyday people, black okay. and white and everyday people. And a lot of this has been absolutely wiped out of American history. And if we look back, let's also get over a lot of the prejudice that took place on 
um, you know, uh, commies and all this kind of stuff. I just want to put that aside because this too um, has gotten in the way of us understanding political history. You know, the first time the working people in the world ever tried to assert themselves, the concept of a working class never existed. I don't know if you guys know, before, frankly, like the 1700s, right? The concept before it was feudal serfs who mm-hmm. worked on a, uh, right? The concept mm-hmm. of a working class only comes during the early industrial era. And the first time the working class ever tries to seize power to assert their rights was in the Paris Commune. Many of these people who go watch Les Mis, they don't even know this history. And they lasted for two months in the Paris Commune. And following that, the French and Prussian armies, who were deadly enemies killing each other, were so afraid of these workers rising up, they came back into Paris and beat the shit out of them and, and, and uh, put the workers in their place. The second time it occurred was when the everyday people of Russia rose up, you know, in 1917. Mm-hmm. And that was the second time. And, and, and because we don't study history enough in this country... When that took place in 1970, 17, it was like a bomb went off. Every poor worker all over the world wanted those same rights. And these were grassroots movements. And then you saw what happened in Russia. That movement lasted in its entirety maybe two years. The Western powers, the imperialist powers, could not have the thought of everyday people running their own state. Um, right. They sent in every 14 countries to overtake Russia. And then Stalinism came up as a, as a reaction to oppress them, right? But the reason mm-hmm. I'm sharing this with you is in America, America. when this, the next workers' movement came up, and as that was building, you know, it was a threat to the American imperialists, including people like Franklin Delano Rosa, was a complete elitist slob, you know? Mm-hmm. People, mm-hmm. Think, people think he saved America. And right. what he did was to stop these, these movements, they threw bones to the masses, Social Security, Medicare, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. All of these things were thrown as stopgaps so they did not have to address the fundamental issue of a growing imperialist nation, you know, the deep state. That's when all of this starts. And after the uh, 30s, after they were forced to give some of these, um, uh, you know, Band-Aid solutions, then in the 40s and 50s, you have the McCarthy era, right? right. Where they go after all the quote-unquote commies, right? Yeah. And then after that, we were all told, you know, and I, I distinguish between capital C and lowercase c, you know, myself, in, in fairness to everyone, I'm not talking about the capital C communist Soviet bureaucracy. I'm talking about the fact of everyday people who wanted a better day for themselves against this casteism and elitism. That's what I mean by lowercase c. But what we saw in this country was there was an absolute vicious attack against anyone being affiliated with anything having to do with mass movements which was people determining their own destiny. And that's when you had the rise of social democracy, the people like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and, and the Barack Obamas and, you know, all of these quote unquote left parties. And they rose up as a way to be a stopgap. So real populist movements would not come up as, as occurred in the 1800s and 1920s in this country. That, and they, you know, brand them as commies, commies, commies. But the mm-hmm. reality was they were everyday people's movements. And then they have people like Bernie Sanders, who's frankly not a quote-unquote communist, because in true communism, if you don't work, you don't eat. And that's left out of all of this. He who does not work does not get paid, does not get fed. You have to work. And Mm -hmm. my point is that we've seen a subversion of political philosophies of the masses by people, you know, people claiming, you know, Elizabeth Warren uses the word revolution, and Sanders does, and hope and change. 
And what these fundamentally guys are is they want to take the energy of the masses and bring it back to the state. And part of that is what you just said. Part of empowering the state is, you know, the standing army, standing militias, standing government agencies that were never supposed to exist. The power was to be to the people in local levels, local legislatures, you know, power was supposed to be decentralized. Right. And they have built this corporate state. And when Steve Bannon says he wants to deconstruct it and he says he's a Leninist, there's a lot of truth to it. Mm-hmm. You know, he says he's a Leninist and people think, oh, he's a communist. No, Lenin was against, was for the destruction of the state, the state apparatus, which subjugated all of us, which was a bureaucratic state, which consumed most of the wealth of nations. And that is what we have right now. We have a bureaucratic state. And if you're a politician, you get associated with that bureaucratic state. You promise jobs to your friends, and that's how you get elected. Right. Well, you just had an example of the uh, federal government stamping out uh, movement in the states because, you know, you've been talking about GMOs. And in my opinion, they, they shouldn't be produced at all. But if they are, that a lot of people wanted to at least have labels on them so that they would know that they were eating GMO ingredients. And one state that passed a law that they had to all be labeled was Vermont. And that was about to go into effect. Actually, it did go into effect. And then they took it down. I, I talked to several of the state representatives, and they didn't, didn't really understand. The federal government doesn't have the constitutional authority to tell the states they can't label GMOs or things like that. And they just do it and figure that nobody understands that. So that's an example of what I'm talking about, of the government doing things it can't legally do, and people just obey. And I think that's kind of a problem. Yeah, I mean, I was up there with the senator, uh, with the, what is it, the uh, governor of Vermont with Neil Young, right after our research came out. There's a video, if you search for it, up, up on uh, YouTube, mm-hmm. where I gave a talk completely summarizing in very layman's terms the fact that GMOs have no safety assessment standards. It's all self-reporting. You know, right. the amount of effort it takes to put a single drug out there takes 15 years, but we can put out a genetically engineered food into the public food supply with purely self-reporting. And it's an absolute sin. And it's all... Yeah, and, and the self you're referring to is the biotech industry, basically, right? Well, yeah, and, but, you know, Obama, you know, uh, is the one who appointed Michael Taylor, the former mm-hmm. head of science policy, from Monsanto to be the deputy director of food at the right. FDA. Right. So every major politician takes money from Monsanto. I just did a movie that Pierce Brosnan um, produced and his wife, and I'm the senior scientist in that movie, um, talking about Poisoning Paradise, which is a story of what's gone on in Kauai at the western part of the island. Okay. But the, the reason he, I'm sharing that with you is that the science we've done, when you go down to the molecular pathways with the technology we have, shows that there's no safety assessment standards. Mm-hmm. And um, 99% of the academics in academia is pay-to-play science. They don't tell the truth. They're the modern priesthood. It's, they don't yeah. do science. Yeah. They write narratives now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They forgot. Well, they don't want to know anything about real science because this is just to put some official seal of approval on whatever they want everybody to think is safe. Yeah. So um, another related issue to that, as far as the federal government doing things that it's not allowed to do, such as tell Vermont that it can't have labeling laws, which it has no authority to do that. Uh, A big one is that the U.S. government, according to the Constitution, is allowed to own 
some very specific small pieces of real estate, uh, you know, like military installations and things like that, a few things overseas. And instead of that, it now owns illegally, but it says it owns about 40% of all the land in the U.S. belongs to the corporate United States. And I'm, I'm wondering, is, you know, do you have any idea of something that w- might be able to be done to stop that, reverse it? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's not that different than the Catholic Church, which owns trillions of dollars worth of land, right? Yeah. Um, right? Uh, a lot of this land, you know, um, it has many ways been, been taken, right, um, for essentially for the, for the government to control large, vast amount of resources, as I understand. That's true. And, right, and it's for that bureaucratic state. You know, we used to complain about the Soviet bureaucracy, right? Which was, you know, the initial notion of communism was it was for the masses. And over time, it became state capitalist. It's almost as if you took all the heads of the major U.S. companies and you merged them into the state, right? Oh, yeah. And that's what's actually happened in America, right? We have a merger's crony capitalism. And the, the state's literally incorporated now. I mean, it's a web of corporations legally. Right. Right. So it's, it's become all corporatized. And I think, you know, for me, when I look at the human cell, the human cell is not one big cell. There's literally 10 trillion cells in the human body. Nature designs things to be decentralized. There's no center to the universe, per se, you know? In fact, if anything, um, knowledge and information and control is actually distributed at the edges. And this is probably one of the most fundamental principles I learned with, uh, you know, like the email controversy meaning that the theory is innovation must occur at the big institutions, the military industrial complex. It cannot occur at the edges, right? It can't occur in Newark. It could not occur in Franklin, Idaho. By the way, Philo Farnsworth invented the first TV, very similar to my story as a 14-year-old kid. Mm -hmm. Um, Innovation must be owned. It must be farmed, no different than uh, the farming of food. So everything is factory farmed now. Innovation is farmed. Medicine is farmed, right? Factory farmed. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, politics is factory farmed, right? Everything is factory farmed because you can control it. Yeah. And the central notion of uh, the state is to control. And if you want to really think about it in a philosophical sense, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is control. And mm-hmm. what we have is, is an environment, right, uh-huh. where we, we, we created this massive controlling behemoth. And because it relies on control, not on creativity, not on being inventive, not on being intelligent, not on belief that others know better, we've created what we have today. And we've created, you know, uh, politicians, they're consultants who run for these elections. They watch which way the wind blows. They don't have any positions. And that's why in many ways Trump winning, in my opinion, was such a revolution. I've never voted before in my life. I didn't like mm-hmm. each either side of this two-headed snake. Right. When Trump won, I saw a guy, forget him as a individual, but he was willing to say things on that stage. Others were not. It was amazing. And he continues to fight. So yeah. in many ways, that's, that's what inspired me to vote. And then I chose to be a Republican and run because of him. I would never have done this before because in some ways he threw a big bomb, a necessary bomb. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, both parties are definitely, this is my opinion now, I'm the one saying it, they're definitely organized crime at this point. However, right. uh, Trump, 
infiltrating the Republican Party, which is now trying to destroy him, is just the first chance of somebody sincere being in office in president since what I remember the last one maybe be John Kennedy. It's, it's just totally yeah. amazing. Well, and he was he was he was knocked off by the deep state, right? Yeah. So they intend to do the same thing if we're not coming up with a way to prevent it at this point. Yeah. So and another yeah. thing that's that's tied into all this is control. You know, being the very interesting point you made, control and love being opposites, but control being exerted over whole countries all over the world by a very clever institution called central banking. And Mm -hmm. we have that in this country. It's not part of the government. Most people don't know. It's private, mostly foreign-owned corporation. And they're able to devalue the money legally and basically siphon off all the wealth of the people who live in the country and give it to the central bank. And they, I really think that most of the people in Congress right now are probably controlled by blackmail and bribes, and that's why they don't go after this organization. How, how do you get, in, in general, how do you break out of a system where there's this depth of corruption where you, you literally do have blackmail, bribes, and intimidation controlling the Congress individuals to the point where they don't even read what they vote on anymore? I think we need to vote them all out. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, the the reality is, you know, as long as you can make profit from war, profit from uh, ill health, we're going to have these idiots there. And the reality is none of these people, they're all un-American. You know, we talk about illegal immigrants. I consider these people illegal Americans from a philosophical standpoint. Mm -hmm. They are Americans in name only, Americans in citizenship name only. You know, they they sort of got the paper. Mm-hmm. But at the heart of it, you know, the America that my parents left India for were for the founders of this country who basically uh, were blacksmiths, were entrepreneurs, inventors, architects. People actually built things. Yeah. And the idea was you were supposed to serve your country and go back to the farm and work. I mean, right. we have these people who right. think they're career politicians and they think foreclosing homes is a way of business, right? Yeah. Or being a career politician is a way of business. That's not a way of business. That's a way of exploitation. Right. No, even George Washington just wanted to go back to his farm as soon as he could. Yeah, exactly. And none of these people were religious fanatics. You know, George Washington did not want to take communion. People don't know that. You know, Jefferson, uh, you know, questioned the story. And this is to the religious right, because there is no right or wrong. They created their notions of Christ. Most of the religious right have no notion of who Christ was. Christ ultimately was a revolutionary. If he was alive today, he'd be a revolutionary. He'd be exposing the banking system. They never want to talk about the fact he whipped those moneylenders in the temple, right? That's yeah, always seen yeah. as some anomaly of someone getting angry, right? Right. Christ ultimately was trying to break down the entire system of caste and patriarchy. That's why he came. And that's what his life mission was. But that's all forgotten, right? And we're told, you know, he came here and died for your sins, and it's a great way to alleviate people from the reality of what he stood for. He stood for people fighting for what was just and right. That, right. In my opinion, that's what Jesus Christ was about, or any great leader was about, any great radical revolutionary. And, and the, if you want to be a spiritual being, look at what's going on here and now and fight for that. And well, that's yeah, it, it really doesn't work to hide from all this stuff anyway. I mean, yeah. you eventually get affected by it no matter where you go. Yeah. So and yeah. now what what about 
what about this is an issue that I've had for a long time. What about do you, do you or and will you write your own speeches? And if not, who would write any? Of them? I write all my stuff. I don't have to write speeches. Okay, good. Because yeah, my, my my feeling is that it should be uh, probably a felony to have somebody else write a speech for you. Yeah. Because how's right. anybody going to know what you think if it's somebody else's writing? Right. Okay, yep. that's one. That that is incredible. I mean that that puts you ahead of so many politicians immediately, because if you I say like something, I uh, I uh, I tell you know you know uh, effective stories with facts interconnected because the story and the arc of that story is to expose people to the contradictions, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you like Joseph Campbell's stuff, the hero's journey in this. Yeah. And that's how I structure when I speak and I share stuff, you know, in those two sort of frameworks. Okay. So but the amazing thing is you're actually saying what you think. I mean, yeah. it's, it sounds silly, but this is rarely done. I'm sure you've noticed that. Um, the other thing is a lot of the programs that are being done covertly by the partnerships of global corporations and government agencies that give them special privileges. One is a worldwide spray program referred to scientifically as geoengineering or uh, in layman's terms as chemtrails. And it's been analyzed by some great scientists, one of which we've had on the show a lot. And it's got some really nasty ingredients, and it's uh, doing some bad things to the soil, air, water, and people, and animals, and insects, and everything. And no one will talk about it, or let alone deal with it. Are you aware of that? And if so, do you have any ideas what might Yeah, you know, I, it's chemtrail oh. stuff. A lot of people brought up for me. I haven't had a chance to study it well. I've okay. had a lot of people say, Shiva, you should explore this. So I'm, frankly, you know, it's like in, in 2014, I'd heard about GMOs. And then I immersed myself in it, and I learned it. So it's something that I should do. I just haven't had the time. Okay, good. Um, but that, you're open to it. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I'm open to you know looking at things as they are. Okay, okay. That that is. I mean, I'm so excited about that. I think it's totally incredible, and that that's why I want to promote you know people getting to know you. the The next question I have, and this is another forbidden topic. Um, yeah that no one wants to be honest about. There, there's very well-proven health damage that happens from intense microwave radiation. And right now, there's a program being rolled out across the U.S., which is intended to cover the world, and it's called 5G. And um, it's connected with, with a program called the Internet of Things, intending to put a chip in every item on the planet. And mm-hmm. in order to, have, to build yeah. the infrastructure, they're going to put out transmitters everywhere, every short distance all over the country. Um, yeah, I, I'm aware of the Internet of Things. You know, it's very closely related to RFIDs, yeah. where you tag everything so you know a point of where everything is, and you can map everything, and then you can, you know, watch the movement of all things, the Internet of Things. A, a couple of guys at MIT actually sort of came up <laughs> or took the credit for that, if you want to yes. be. Uh, um, yeah. So I'm, I'm familiar with this very, very well. Um, Look, at the end of the day, my position on all of this stuff is who is making this decision? Are people making this decision in back rooms or is it decisions being made by people? Because these are very powerful technologies, you know? Yes, that's right. And these technologies, 
you know, like email, you know, email, like the postal service was a public utility, mm-hmm. which guaranteed every one of us the right to fair and free communication. If people inserted themselves in between it, they could be sued and thrown in jail. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the privatization of email by Google, et cetera, all of our emails are being watched and tracked. That's why I believe ultimately that email itself needs to be Uberized. So all of us own it, you know, as, as people. Hmm. So we can all watch it. And I have some thoughts on this. So similarly, I believe some of these very, very big technologies, um, when they become, you know, like the public highway system, certain of these things, you know, are our property, you know? Yeah. And they cannot be corporatized because you get into some serious issues of privacy and control. Okay. Now, when you're, you're talking, you've talked about a lot of health issues. What about when a certain group, for example, the basically it's a cartel that's in charge of a lot of the medical industry right now wanting to push certain drugs and certain kinds of radiation and chemotherapy and get rid of what your grandmother used to do and say it's anti-science. Yeah. They want yeah. to get to the point, because it's in your best interest, they want to force you to have their... Uh, official treatments, including forced injection of whatever uh, chemical cocktail they decide is in your best interest. CDC, which has been intensely corrupted, and they're all pushing the idea of forced vaccination. They're already enforcing it in California and other places like that, and they intend to get it to the adults after they take care of the kids. So what do you think about that? Look, you know, uh, vaccination is an interesting area, right? Yeah. Um, it's a technology. It's it's not something that existed before in humans. It's a, it's basically you expose the body to a uh, adverse environment, and then the body reacts back by creating antigens and antibodies. Right. This is a theory. That's a theory. Interesting. Right. So there's an interesting thing here. You know, I was talking to one of my uh, interesting uh, research uh, colleagues that I work with. He was saying, you know, it's interesting. There's some more and more data emerging that those things that grow in very, very tough environments um, actually are very strong, you know, uh, mm-hmm. plants, animals, et cetera. And if you eat those plants or animals, they somehow transfer some very powerful agents to provide you resilience, which means humans. Mm-hmm. So there is this emerging theory that's coming out. If you expose certain animals to vaccines, their bodies actually react in such a way to produce um, nutrients to fight that toxin. For example, if you hypervaccinate something and the elements of that, which end up in certain tissues like milk, when drank actually give that end animal much more greater power. And it's a very interesting stuff that's emerging. I've seen some amazing data on this. Mm-hmm. Um, so in general, what I'm saying is the notion of exposing creatures to very tough environments um, the creature, the organism reacts and strengthens itself. Okay. That's mm-hmm. the, that's the goal, right? So one could argue primitive man or indigenous people are much more stronger, right? People grew up in slums, um, uh, are also much stronger, you know? Right. And, um, so it's an interesting thing. Um, so, um, so that's a broad theory, right? Now the delivery of vac- vaccines, the adjuvants that they use when they deliver vaccines, Mm-hmm. That's what I think the real issue is. It may not be the vaccines themselves, but it could be the adjuvants that are used, you know? Um, 
They're definitely not very good for you to inject mercury and aluminum and DNA from aborted babies and all kinds of stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah, so what I'm saying is those adjuvants are, you know, but, you know, uh, a friend of mine started a company where they found out there were certain proteins that if you expose the baby to when it's young, it does better, right? A lot lot of times you bring people up in very pure environments, right? Mm -hmm. And the the babies are weaker you know they get used to well if they're out if, if they're out playing in the dirt they definitely get a better immune system that's been shown that's what i'm trying to say so that's like the broader theory right, right? Mm-hmm. um yeah yeah um i guess it's an issue of health freedom though i mean if you don't believe in it for you oh, yeah, or your yeah. family uh, yeah, should yeah, you be forced to do it if if the government says you have to you know i mean that's kind yeah. of what i mean yeah i think that's really the issue right Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, it's, it's very much like climate change, right? We can argue whether climate change is go- going or not. Let's put that on one side. But the reality is China is going to add 11 billion more carbon tons. Every Indian uh, and Chinese want two cars. So you're not going to stop them from polluting. The real issue is what do we want to do? I'm saying sometimes a question, what do we want to do to innovate? So we have, you know, probably better coal, right? Cleaner coal, all those kinds of things, you know? Um, uh, that's what it really comes to. And with vaccines, the real issue is, are we being forced to do something without our choice? I think that's, that's a more central issue. That's really the issue. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, and right now they want to say anybody who insists on choice is endangering the whole world. Right. Okay. So that was Shiva Ayadure. Sorry for, again, for the abrupt, uh, departure, but I thought it was really a valuable chance to discuss these things with him. Again, he's running for Senate from the state of Massachusetts, but he'll be, if he wins, which hopefully he will, he'll be dealing with things that affect everybody in America and indirectly everybody in the world. So all of the federal offices affect anybody. This is one reason that I think uh, it's important what every state representative does, even if you don't live in that state, and quite legitimate to communicate with them, even if you're from outside of the state. And if they won't talk to you, which some of them won't, using that as an excuse that you're out of state, so you're not relevant, which is ridiculous, you can just send them an email because they can't differentiate where the emails come from, and a lot of them will will receive emails. Sometimes also phone calls overnight. You can leave messages for any of them from any state in the union, and that way they can't uh, hang up on you because you're from the wrong state. Kind of silly, but that's the games that some of them play. Um, Shiva's website, he's got more than one, but you can go to shiva4senate.com. That's Shiva, S-H-I-V-A, the number four, uh, senate, S-E-N-A-T-E dot com. And um, I noticed that when looking back at the recording that we ended on the issue of vaccine freedom, and I thought that was really appropriate. We've been talking a lot with uh, many great guests recently on the air about that issue. And even though most people don't understand that vaccines, in my opinion, and I've done a lot of deep research into them back all the way to when they started, and I think they're a total scam. Sorry, I know you're not supposed to say that, but my tendency is to be like the little kid in uh, the Emperor's New Clothes and say, hey, he's naked, (laughs) even though that's not politically correct to say that. if If you can see it and you're not hypnotized, 
to that degree, I, I think that it's important to say it, and sometimes it can jar other people into saying, wow, I was imagining clothes on that guy. He is naked, isn't he? And the naked truth about the vaccines and the reason they're so viciously defended by the people who sell them and the people who promote them and the people who have memorized that they're so safe and effective, which is total nonsense, is that they're so damaging and so opposite from safe and effective that if you, they're worried that if people start realizing that, uh, it might really hurt the vaccine business and the deeper agenda to uh, kill a lot of people, injure and kill a lot of people with vaccines, which they're certainly intelligent enough to know that that's what they're doing, and the ones at the top have planned it that way. So I don't think Shiva's totally aware of the full scope. I'm going to send him some information and this is not an insult to Shiva. I thought it was fantastic that he said, like with chemtrails, that he wanted to learn more. That's an incredible response. That's like a normal human, you know, who wants to learn what they don't already know. We should all emulate that. And I'm certainly trying. I'm voraciously reading and learning and discussing things with people. All these huge areas that I don't know enough about that I should have used my time better, like, you know, when I was 10 years old and after that. But this is the present, and we just use it as well as we can in each case and just be really grateful for the opportunity that we have to learn more because that, that's an essential ingredient in improving our individual lives and helping other people, which all goes together. So I'm going to send Shiva information that I have, uh, like the great documentary, uh, Lethal Injection, the story of vaccination from Clint Richardson. I still think that's a classic uh, movie that you can see, by the way, for free. It's on lostartsradio.com on our list of, of videos that are embedded in the site. You can also see it on YouTube. I think Clint did an amazing job, and there are many others that are also great now. Um, again, individual freedom, including in the vaccine issue, was one thing I really liked about Shiva. But with the vaccine issue, they're so vicious and focused about forcing kids and then adults after they get all the kids to be vaccinated out of their minds and probably out of their bodies in a lot of cases. That the only way to really be ready to resist that for people in the Senate and House and state government and local government is to realize it's not about the adjuvants. That means it's not about the mercury, you know, that Robert Kennedy's great work is all, all focused on that. And there's a lot of people who think it's the mercury, it's the aluminum, it's the monkey kidney cells stuff, and then the uh, embryo material from uh, aborted babies. And not, well, yeah, they're called embryos, but they're actually small people that haven't been born yet. And that's all in vaccines, and it's a really bad idea. Not to mention what part of what Dr. Bradstreet got assassinated for, which was exposing that. The vaccines have now an enzyme called nagalase actually added to them. This is totally incredible. And I asked um, our guest when we were first finding out about that, wait a minute, if they're putting nagalase in there, and nagalase is an enzyme that shows up in cancer cells, what are they doing? Are they saving the uh, cancer tumors that they remove from cancer patients while they're killing them with other so-called therapies and they're refining these down to the bare um, components like nagalase and then they're putting them in vaccines and injecting them into people to destroy the immune system. Am, am I getting that right? 
and uh, what was the guest name? And Doug will probably remind me, but um, David, a uh, friend, of, friend of ours in the UK who was actually running a factory for the antidote to the Nagalase GCMAF before they shut it down, the partner of the uh, FDA over in England to make sure nobody gets healthy and avoids all this assault through the vaccines and the other things that are being done to us. And he said, yeah, that's, that's exactly what they're doing. They're taking the Nagalase out of the cancer tumors that they take out of people, supposedly to help them. And then they're refining it, putting it into vaccines and injecting it into people so they won't have a working immune system. If you really grasp that, you start to have a little bit of a view into what's really going on in the U.S. government and other ones and, and the levels far above the visible government that we don't see. So I'm going to send information that I'll share with Shiva on the deadly scam uh, with no redeeming qualities of vaccines that were killing people before adjuvants were ever invented. Um, when they were first giving smallpox shots, you know, and having terrible results. And that's a long story. But watch the documentary on YouTube. It's free or on lostartsradio.com. Uh, lethal Injection, the story of vaccination. So we're hoping that Robert Kennedy and all the great workers against, uh, you know, vaccines hurting people will realize and look into the fact that it's way more than the mercury. It's way more than the aluminum. That's like the tiniest tip of the iceberg. And the body is not designed to develop immunity from things being injected into it through hollow needles. It sounds good if you don't know what you're talking about and you're just lost in what's called modern science. But if you've got a deeper understanding of how the body works with nature and how it's designed, you know that's not a brilliant idea and it should be really obvious uh, based on the fact that even the U.S. government is trying to avoid any knowledge of the carnage that's being done with vaccination has paid out more than $3.5 billion to people damaged or killed by vaccination while saying it's totally safe and effective. And if we don't see something wrong with that picture, we're pretty far gone in the hypnosis and we need to wake up. So... Um, also, I have to tell you, I was kind of concerned about Shiva's background in bioengineering, that he has a degree in that. And I thought, well, maybe this guy's promoting GMOs. But Shiva clarified in the discussion that we just had that he knows that GMOs are not the same as uh, normal food, normal seeds, normal plants. Um, and that he did, you know, he dug up some information on the science that uh, there are ingredients in the food that is radically different and not as healthy. And so he's aware of that. But I'm going to send him additional information uh, from Jeffrey Smith, who I think is one of the most impressive, you know, uh, investigators of GMOs that I'm aware of right now on the planet. Uh, there are a few others, but Jeffrey has done some great work and he's been on our show too. You can see the archive or listen to the archive of Jeffrey Smith's interview on lostartsradio.com or see it on YouTube if you want to. I don't know why almost none of our listeners go to our YouTube channel. You might want to do that and try to give us a few more views and likes and however it works over there. Most people go and listen to the archives on Blog Talk, but however you do it, it's totally free. It's for educational purposes, and we want you to get a lot out of it and take it much further than we do 
and educate yourself as fully and deeply and fast as you can and then apply it get your health back and you know the stuff that we usually talk about um again shiva's most amazing incredible quality i thought was sincerity and, and willingness to keep learning and that is just amazing and to get that into government it's like what ed griffin has been encouraging people to do with his uh freedom force operation which you can look up on the internet as well and he's got that great book on the federal reserve which is a like a basic essential textbook on the federal reserve which i recommend everybody read it's called uh creature from jekyll island i've read it a couple of times and it's it's really well done um if you wonder where the wealth of the country for not just america but all the countries is going it's being stolen by the, the central banks they're not even part of the government they're above the government and they control it through all kinds of nefarious means uh, as i say i'm going to send shiva more information on chemtrails including you know the link and information from clifford carnicom at carnicom institute that's worth keeping up on on the internet as well um, to know that the chemtrails given the term geoengineering which i think is way too respectful for an act of terrorism like chemtrails are it's absolutely not just about climate engineering that is the tip of the iceberg and it makes it sound way too respectable it's about terrorism and, and global destruction there are things in the chemtrails to destroy the ability of the soil to grow non-gmo plants uh, to poison all life forms on the planet uh, to destroy the water sources um, there also clifford's work has shown that there are dried blood cells and other biological weapons components in the chemtrails that have nothing to do with the weather and the climate at all Okay, so you gotta you gotta get way beyond this climate engineering thing, and realize that it's a weapon, among probably twenty or thirty other major agendas like it, in other areas, GMOs and nuclear power and things like that, that are designed specifically to destroy the biosphere. It's not these intermediate things. It, it's not even population reduction. It's population extermination, and that's really hard for most people to grasp, but at a certain point it becomes clear so um we unfortunately didn't get to talk about the issue with microwave radiation and the rollout of the 5g i don't know how aware uh, of that shiva is but i'll send him information on that too i, I just want to offer him you know some free resources to save him time because he's already overwhelmingly busy that's why the interview got cut short and I know he wants to research and learn more in a lot of these areas, so I'm going to try to send him things that could save him some time. Uh, let me see, what else? Oh, I guess another thing is, I think Shiva's one of these people that wants to, like Donald Trump, he, he wants to serve the world by serving America. And that's the idea, you know, it's not, America's not responsible or legally allowed to go out or ethically really allowed to go out and try to tell other countries how they should be. They're other countries, okay? And contrary to, to a lot of popular belief and what the media has been trying to make seem normal, our job is not to go out and bomb the other countries that we think need to be changed. That's a criminal activity. And it, it doesn't 
do justice to the ideals of the United States that we're supposed to be living up to. Well, this is not us. This is the leadership that's been taken over by these global rulers that do not have our best interests in mind, to say the least. And leaders like uh, Shiva, Donald Trump, and many other people, Heather Scott, other other great freedom-oriented, constitutional-oriented, um, spiritually and ethically-oriented people. And I don't mean religiously. I mean really trying to do what's good for everybody instead of what will hurt them. Okay, that does not depend on what religion you're in. And if you're if you're in tune with those things and you're willing to sacrifice your own nice life to get into this mess called government and try to bring it back to sanity, I think that's incredible. And um, the way to serve the other countries is not taking all the money and the resources of the people by taxes that you're not really allowed to take and giving it to corporations and rulers in other countries at will, that's not really legal. Ron Paul has pointed that out. Uh, Davy Crockett pointed that out when he was in the Congress a long time ago. And it, it was actually one of his constituents that corrected him because he voted to give money from Congress to, I think it was a like a widow that had her house burned down or something like that. It was a, a wonderful cause. And one of his constituents, when Davy Crock was just walking around his uh, territory of his voters, said, no, I'm not going to vote for you again. I'm really ashamed of what you did. And Davy Crockett, who was apparently completely sincere, trying to be a good public servant, said, what? What did I do? And he said... You gave money to this lady whose house burned down. Forgive me if the detail's a little bit off, but it's something like that. And he said, it's not your money to give. So if the government's not stealing from you, and the Federal Reserve is not stealing from you, both of which are unfortunately happening, then the people get prosperous and they get generous and they get charitable and they'd probably be sending money all over the world. Their own money, though, not stealing it from the citizens and just voting to give it away to a corporation or a, a government somewhere else or for some program like, you know, providing GMO food for poor countries. That's an act of terrorism. You look at rats that are fed GMO food and you begin to have some idea what it's about. It has nothing to do with charity. And it's not just Monsanto, it's the whole biotech industry that is doing that. And at the top, they're doing it on purpose. They're not eating it. They just eat organic food. But they impose this on as much of the world as possible. They've destroyed the normal crops in the U.S., starting with corn, cotton, which goes into what you wear on your skin, uh, reason for organic clothing, and soybeans and sugar beets and other things like that. They've done alfalfa now, which is an, an act of terrorism by USDA. Okay, it doesn't mean that if you work for USDA, you're bad because you're just doing your job. But the people at the top who decide policy, they're working for destruction. And they need, you know, they need to be indicted for that. Um, not, not because I care about punishing anybody, but because I care about stopping that stuff. Um, GMO alfalfa in general circulation will out-compete uh, good alfalfa, and it'll destroy the alfalfa crop just like they've already destroyed the national corn crop. This is a, a crime of such incredible magnitude that um, 
it's a real tribute to the system of brainwashing that we're under that people don't seem to have any idea about it. Or if they do, they don't seem to care. And they're just, well, whatever, you know, we're helpless. And people like Shiva, Heather Scott, and other ones that are willing to take part in local, state, or federal government, or any level, your school district, whatever, uh, and trying to bring back sanity, those people are doing some really good work. But, you know, when it comes down to the um, bottom line of it, even though these great people are getting into office and, and they're going to do good work, I don't think it's enough. And that's really why we're here. Because the forces that are working for destruction are very powerful. They have a lot of momentum behind them. They don't, they don't care what we think in America. They just intended to kill us anyway. I'm sorry, but that's the bottom line. And it, it's really too late in the game to beat around the bush and not tell the truth as if that was ever okay. It wasn't. Um, it's just that now it's especially not okay because our time is limited in this particular form. Our ultimate time is not limited, but that's another story. We talk about that on Saturdays, if you're interested. But um, for the contribution to try to make the world sane again, my feeling about that is the real work that has the power to actually do that and overcome what the global rulers can do, that's in a hidden um, area that you're not supposed to know about, which is consciousness. You know, not just repeating the word, but what it really refers to. And if, if you want to get into that with us, uh, join us on Saturdays for the discussion show. Same place, uh, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, world rulers are invited, people within the power structure, uh, trolls or people monitoring our site or anything. You're all invited, okay, because our, our agenda is not to fight with you. It's to wake you up. Because if you're inside the power structure and you didn't get in like Shiva or Heather or some other good people and you're there consciously to hurt people or maybe just to enrich yourself no matter what happens to everybody else, if you start becoming aware of some things that you don't know about now, your motivation's going to change. And you've got the same spirit inside you that we do. And we could use your help. So we're reaching out to you. In fact, on a bigger scale, on the physical level, we're really pushing now to try to find a safe source of funding for the school that I want to build. And I, I'm interested in building it probably in Arizona for a number of reasons. There's at least some memory of individual freedom there and the climate and certain areas have the water and the soil and things like that and the number of hours of sunlight which we need for various things. Um, if you happen to notice any individuals or families or companies or sources that maybe would be safe to talk to about funding this kind of thing and, and not corrupt it. You know, we can't work with the normal venture capital people or the people who see it only for money. We can't do that. I would rather have it never happen than have it corrupted in any way. But we're, I know there are people out there that want to help uh, America and the world to survive. And the real foreign aid is by example. And so, and then letting that prosperous people help whoever they want, you know, for the money that they earned. This is a model that there's a lot of beauty in it. And we can bring back the soil to its original condition. We already know how to do that. All the food will become superfoods. It gets very exciting. 
but it takes a lot of money. So keep an eye out, you know, for sources and let us know, Richard at lostartsradio.com, if you come across any possible people that could help, or if you want to help us even just keep going at our present level and you have resources in the form of money that you want to donate, uh, you can do that at either site. Uh, lostartsradio.com has a donate button and so does um, the school site, which you might find interesting. Actually, it's got one version of a possible uh, business plan, actually, and some other things about the school. We have all the details. We could build it right now if we had the money. And that is lostartsresearchinstitute.org. I think you really might find that of interest. Um, and you could let me know what you think of it. I, I always like to have feedback from you. Uh, by email, richard at lostartsradio.com. So, you know, we're just here because we want to educate, but not just not just telling you, well, this bad thing is happening and that bad thing is happening and look how terrible the global rulers are. All that's true, but what's the point of that if you don't go any further? So we need solutions. And all of the analysis that I've done over many decades into health and consciousness and, and also into the economic and political power structure that's been running America and most of the world for a long time. The only area I can see is the one that is the most taboo, um, way beyond what the holistic doctors exposed for which they were killed. And originally I didn't felt like I couldn't talk about this stuff, but now I realize if we don't talk about it, then we're sealing our fate, and I don't want to do that because there are babies being born, there are little kids running around, and there are generations trying to come in. And they're depending on us to try to put in some kind of positive energy to this thing, not not sink into arguments, you know, who's the best organic gardening source or who's got the best health information. or You know, I've seen that kind of thing within great causes, within the microwave radiation movement there are factions wanting to kill each other and same thing within the geoengineering and chemtrail groups don't waste any of your mon money true money but any of your attention hating anybody it's as ridiculous as having fear you know no matter what happens this is we know this is an unstable place we could get cut to pieces anything could happen um, but having fear doesn't help at all it makes you weak and it cuts off your source of inspiration which we really need right now so don't be afraid of anything learn how to relax recognize the tension that you're carrying and drop it and then start focusing on beauty instead of the horrible things around us it doesn't mean to be unaware of them you split your attention we'll talk about this more on saturday but you use your intellectual observational capability to strategically make decisions about what's going on around you in your life, in the world, etc. But your emotional side that's eating emotional energy 24 hours a day, making you feel really good and strong or terrible and depressed, that you never give to the bad things that are happening. You keep that connected to what's the most beautiful, inspiring thing that you can possibly imagine and don't move it unless it's to something better. And um, that way we keep our energy high all the time. We gradually learn how to eliminate all the susceptibility to disease and what's called aging. You grow beyond that and then 
people like Shiva and Heather and others come up to do great work in, in government, but it doesn't matter if you're not in government, if you're just dealing with your family or your friend or somebody that you walk by in the grocery store. That is just as important, and it's got massive possibilities. If you start sending out genuine, sincere, a good high frequency to these other people in your life, the whole atmosphere of the globe is affected. And that's not a philosophy. It's not a belief system. It's not a religion. There's something behind it that's very deep. And join us Saturdays if you want to learn more about it. Otherwise, thanks for being with us. I'm sorry to go on so long. Hope I'm not putting you to sleep. But I'm so grateful that you spend a little bit of time with us every week. I, I, I think that's great. And it makes me want to do a better job with this. I'm... I was never really a radio host. I'm just talking to you guys and sharing some things that I've learned through trial and error, mostly error, and eventually figuring out some of the things that are valuable. And I just want you to have access to all that and take it way farther yourself. You know, I want you to be true to yourself and the higher spirit that's in you that keeps you alive all the time and the source we came from, whatever you call it. Um, we have potential that we're not supposed to understand we're supposed to think that we're weak and helpless and dependent. None of that was ever true. You're the most incredible being beyond what you can imagine with energy that is you couldn't even grasp it intellectually. So I figure, since that's who we are, let's break the taboo on, on knowing that and experiencing that and being that for real in our lives so we can do something useful for ourselves and everybody else at the same time. Uh, I probably did a terrible job explaining that, but I, I hope you kind of get the feel for what I'm trying to say. And if any of you guys want to do that with me, that's why, that's really my ulterior motive is to invite you to that um, adventure trip. And it's an incredible one. So thanks again for being with us. I appreciate you very much. And uh, you're an incredible being. It's my honor to have any communication with you at all. And uh, have a great week. And if you feel like it, come visit us Saturday for the live call-in show. And we'll see you then. Listen to our new shows with guests every Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. All new shows and archives are available at blogtalkradio.com forward slash lostartsradio. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Lost Arts Radio. We're on Twitter at Lost Arts Radio. Our YouTube channel is youtube.com forward slash the letter C slash Lost Arts Radio. Again, youtube.com slash C slash Lost Arts Radio. And scene.life, we're at Lost Arts Radio forward slash profile. When you do your Amazon shopping, please use Amazon Smile Program at smile.amazon.com. And when you choose Lost Arts Research Institute in Sedona, Arizona as your charity, Amazon will donate half a percent of whatever your order total is to Lost Arts Research Institute to help fund the building of the school and keep our radio show on the air. Please visit lostartsresearchinstitute.org for more information on the school we want to build. Be sure to sign up for our free weekly newsletter on our site under the Radio Show tab or right from the button on our Facebook page. You're also invited to join our free user forum on our website at lostartsradio.com. You can ask Richard a question there or post about any subject that you're interested in. Our forum is growing and we'd love to have you be part of that community. 
We keep it troll-free, so don't worry about others, paid or otherwise, speaking negatively or engaging in some sort of debunking tactic fakery. I closely monitor the forum for abuse, and we have a very strict one-strike-and-you're-out policy, which is why we require you to register your email address along with whatever screen name or username you want to use. We also have links to all of the great independent musicians whose music we feature each week on Lost Arts Radio. And if you like Lost Arts Radio, please consider donating a few bucks to help keep us on the air. We spend many, many hours each week to bring you the best show we can with the best guests around. You can find our donate button on our website at lostartsradio.com. Contact Richard at richard at lostartsradio.com or myself, Doug Diamond, at doug at lostartsradio.com. You can also find me on Facebook, scene.life, and gab.ai at diamonddisc, D-I-A-M-O-N-D-I-S-C. My short new video blog, or vlog, is The Diamond Report, and that can also be found at www.thediamond.report. Thanks again for listening to Lost Arts Radio, and we'll see you again next week. Pursuing dreams Taking your ambitions To extremes The only thing that matters In the grand design Is what you take And what you leave If you held the future in your hands Would it make you change all of your plans When choosing what you want the most you will find It's what you take and what you leave behind If you knew exactly what tomorrow brings It would take Easy.
sometimes when you've lost everything to know what you can keep and do without when all the praise and accolades of Fade away and no one knows your name It will be much clearer and you won't be blind To what you take and what you leave behind Sometimes when you've lost everything To know what you can keep and do without Life becomes so simple Not what you leave.